You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. This is an AMA Friday episode, and we are putting together the answers for the questions that you submitted on our Facebook group. You submit the questions, and we find the answers. Josh Michaelis is going to sit in with me for this December edition of AMA Friday. We're going to cover topics like, you know, do bears spook at the smell of gunpowder and gun oil? Can dry ground lines make an eastern bear dog? Should we mess with Mother Nature and heat cycles? And finally, some realistic expectation for puppies and young dogs. We've got a lot more than that. We're going to try to cover it all on this episode of the MA Friday Podcast. Only on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out our buddy over there, L.W. Nixon and his company at Cajun Lights. We've had several people that cashed in on the promo for November. They ordered lights, they ordered gear, they got leather patch caps. LW is taking care of them on all that stuff. We've got some good reports back from people who have purchased the lights like the Micro Gator, the Roguru, and the Bayou over there. LW also just dropped a new hunting coat that uh, he's marketing. He had specially designed and made for Cajun Outdoors. I've been wearing it. It's a great coat. It's going to be tough as nails. Can't wait to put it through the paces during bear season this year. Also, don't forget about Dogs Are Treed. I'm seeing a lot of 
of the tieouts popping up on our Facebook group, guys are taking advantage of that high quality system, that travel tieout. Super easy to transport, easy, easy to set up. Have her done in less than three minutes and have dogs tied out anywhere you're at. So check out Dogs Are Treed and check out all their products, such as Paws Are Protected, Dogs Are Hydrated, and their medical kits. Great company, great people that are supporting this lifestyle. Well, two great companies that are supporting this lifestyle. And we've got a lot more. You can find all of our sponsors who all support you every day at houndsmanxp.com. And when you go to our website, you can find links to our shop. Seth has been working overtime with Outer Agenda. Derek Tormanen of Outer Agenda has been cranking out the designs, and we've been getting them up there. We've got some new bear hunting designs and coyote hunters designs in the shop. So you can go to houndsmanxp.com, hit the shop tab. It'll take you right into our store there. You can design, I'm sorry, you can pick the design that you want and help represent and support this podcast. Also, don't forget about us on Patreon. When you join us at the $12 level, you're going to get a membership to Sportsman's Alliance and get in the fight. Stop talking about how serious you are about preserving our lifestyle, and let's get in the fight. We're going to pay for your membership, and Sportsman's Alliance is going to send you a bunch of gear, including Hunt Stand Pro, a year's subscription to that, two-knife set, it's a great deal. It's worth about 70 bucks. You're going to recoup half your annual annual membership to Patreon. Support this show and also tell the world that houndsmen are serious about getting in the fight to preserve our lifestyle and keep the animal extremists from taking away more of our freedoms. Folks, it's time to get the tailgate down. The Old South Dog Box is rocking. It's time to dump the box. All right, this is an Ask Me Anything, an AMA Friday episode, and I'm not even sure which Friday this thing's going to air, um, so I'm not even going to get into that part. But cool. um, yeah, we got we got none other uh, none other than the elitist himself, Josh Michaelis, and you were <laughs> and the reason you're on here, Josh, is because you were asked for by name. Yeah. Um, in the now, uh, in when the... they said they wanted the elitist, <laughs> they could have been talking about Finley. <laughs> Oh man, or maybe they were talking about Seth. Yeah, they could have been. Yeah, they could have been talking about Seth and his his broad vocabulary. Yeah, because uh, he does he does have because like, and I'm, this may sound like an elitist too, but I'm pretty proud of my <laughs> vocabulary, I and I've too. got a pretty I've got a pretty good one. And then Seth says something, I'm just like, what the f does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, <kidding. laughs> it makes me feel dumb. Oh, me too. <laughs> Yeah, I was always proud of my my vast expanse and knowledge of the English language. And then when you talk to yeah. Seth for about five minutes, you're like, "Dude, just talk in English. I can't understand yeah. what you're saying." Oh, I know. <laughs> Every time I sit down with Seth, which he's a, with the I love Seth's dogs. Don't get me wrong, the coursing dog stuff's really cool. But I he, get more enthralled with his biology stuff than I do his dog stuff. They're all cool, but. Man, Man that, wildlife biologists—they just—I just want to pick their brain like crazy when I'm talking. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. He's a real—he's a real gem to have on this team, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree. And uh, you know, just being able to chime in and talk about that stuff. But that guy can turn a jack—he can turn any situation into a jackrabbit race. Oh, I'm I telling know. You. Yeah, yeah, I know. 
Yeah. It's great, He'll man. be talking about growing grocery shopping with his wife, and next thing I know, it's all about hares. That's right. Hares and, <laughs> and long dogs and salukis yeah. and, yeah. Man, the guy's, he's, he's a madman. There's no doubt about it. I agree. All right. Well, hey, the AMA, the AMA shows are all about uh, listener-generated questions, and we had a ton of them this week, and I'm not sure how many we're going to get to just because of time constraints, but uh, uh, th- there's a few that, that I definitely want to hit. Where do you where do you want to start, Josh? What do you want to do? You've got a copy of all the questions too. Well, I mean, there's the Chip Kozier question. As much as I hate to to give Chip any more publicity oh, than he, I know his head gets big. Yeah, it does. but he did. He did. And ask then he a won't good answer question. his phone. He'll be having so many phone calls coming in. Neither one of us will be able to get a hold of him. You ought to ride around with him for a day. Like my phone rings nonstop too. I mean, but yeah. I will have thirty or forty seconds in between. He don't. It's crazy. Just one after the other after one the other. One after the other. And if it ain't that, it's messages and stuff. And I'm getting to that point too, the longer I hit the road for Joy Dog Food, you know. And of course a lot of a lot of my questions or a lot of my messages are from Houndsman XP podcasts and the truth series mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, I'm out there. You know, that's part yeah. of it. You you get it too. But uh yeah, it's it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, well read read Chip's question. Have you got it in front of you? I don't have it in front of me. I've but got it. Was, it. I've got it. Yeah. I've got it. I've already got it pulled up, so I'll just Great. read it. Chip wants to know the pros and cons of putting a good handle on your hound. Yes. That is, and, uh, that. I'll tell you what, we've seen kind of a, a transition in a lot of that, especially not only for me, but even in the competition coon mm-hmm. hunting world. But... Um, I'll just let you, what's your, what's your thoughts on it? Cause I, I think you're going to come at it from, you know, that high performance competition coon dog angle. Well, if we're talking about, let's lay out the pros first. Uh, mm-hmm. the pro, the pros are obvious and don't get me wrong. I'm not anti handle on a dog. Uh, I'm anti overdoing it mm-hmm. because recall is important. Uh, recall will save your dog from getting in trouble. It will save you from getting in trouble. It'll save you from being out there on a long night when you got to go to work tomorrow and it's 4 a.m. and that dog's banging around and you want to try to get some sleep before you got to go dig a ditch. Uh, you know, it, it, there's a How lot of How would you pros. know anything about that? You've been hey, out of that. Huh? I've been, out, I've been out of that for a while. I did. did. You, you did? I right, did. Go ahead. Sorry, dude. But uh, I've been there. I've been that guy that had to wake up in the morning at 5.30 and dig a ditch. And I've got this wild pup that yeah. I can't catch that's running junk and is through the country and it's on the neighbor <laughs> and you, you just want to strangle it when you do catch it. And you know you can't do that because it's just going to be counterproductive. And and so there's a lot of, there there is a pro, there's pros to recall. And I It'll can't keep think, you from getting scratched too. Yes, yes. I can't, think, I can't think of any major cons on the competition side of just pure recall. And mm-hmm. that is... Either tone breaking the dog, uh, or when you tone break a dog, ninety nine out of a hundred dogs that you tone break, you're going to be able to call back by voice without a tone to. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you can a lot of these dogs that are winning at a high level, you can still call off a tree, maybe not a tree, but you can call off whenever you you know you're in trouble and you need to go catch the dog. But there are other aspects of a good handle that are very negative in the competition side. And such I as speak what? For, uh, just when, a, out. when a dog has 
because you can't verbally correct a dog in a cast. Uh, you can't physically correct the dog in a cast, of course, either. But there, you can't encourage a dog to go hunting or anything like that in a, in a cast environment. And so when you get that dog, like uh, all of ours are broke to walk out without a leash, uh, they're broke out to they're broke to heal whenever you know they're they're not supposed to go hunting, and that can be a negative in a cast situation because there's a lot of times, especially with Con, where I've walked into him walking to another dog treat and he's trailing and he sees our lights and he's come to us before. Uh, he's had situations where I've went to recut him, and someone walked in front of him at super stakes and he ran into the back of their legs and then just stopped because he didn't know what to do. And I can't say his verbal command to get him out of there. Well, couldn't, so, you, couldn't you say that was interference at that point, though? I mean, another handler interfering? You can, but it was also my fault for not getting that dog out of the way and get gotcha. him recut the right way. So yep. that, a lot of that was handler error. But when a dog has the mindset that it's okay to walk by you until you say otherwise, you're going to run into problems. Let me tell you, go ahead. I'll I'll tell you, because I I have gone through, ever since I started hunting out west and I saw how some of these guys are handling their hounds, and I'll tell Mm -hmm. you who it was. Calvin's getting a lot of love on this podcast lately, but uh, he deserves every bit of it. But uh, watching Calvin recall his dogs and then then walk his dogs out, you know, I, I had never really put that much effort into it. I was, I wanted every one of my dogs to handle but I was leading dogs out and I, and when I get to thick spots, they all know that they're supposed to get behind me. And mm-hmm. when I say heel, they're behind me and I can go through there. I'm not backing through brush and dragging through all, all that stuff. But okay. So what I found was, as I was breaking dogs to handle like that, the recast was not as enthusiastic as what it was once was, you know? Yeah. And yep. I'll tell you what I did. I got to the point where I realized that the click of that brass snap, you know, every time I say, okay, so just let me lay it out so you understand what I'm saying here. I'll recall a dog off a tree when we're coon hunting, and I'll walk a few feet or 25 feet or whatever, and the dog's at heel because I've recalled them and and they're walking at heel, and then I'll say, you're free, and I'll click that snap, bang. Even if I've got to reach down there, just 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 reach down there like they think they're hooked up and just let that brass snap bang. Just yeah. that sound has made a difference. And I've trained them to that sound as they're released to get out of here. Yep. So that's my, that's one option, but Yeah, my verbal command for all my dogs. Uh well we're we're gonna cause Khan's the dog that I put the absolute best handle on. Uh, this was a dog where Jed, when he was, I believe the dog was five months old and, uh, I was, uh, doing some training in the yard with him and the dog has always been, they're all real sharp. There's not very many dumb coon dogs anymore. We bred brains into these dogs that we don't give them credit for. Uh, they mm-hmm. can learn, they can learn just like my healer does dog. some ama- yep. yeah my healer, my healer does some amazing things. I can teach my hounds to do the exact same thing if I raise them like I did him. And so you remember t- you remember Elvis? Yes, Elvis Attack is a prime example of yep. pure brains. Uh, yep. That dog could do amazing things, yep. and we can we can do all that with ours. But some of it is a detriment. 
Mm-hmm. And so we got to be careful about what we're... Now, I was showing off, and I still show off with Con uh, when I do hunt him. He's up here now. He's going back down to Texas in January. But uh, I've done stuff with him just to show how good his handle is. You know, that was probably a detriment to his coon hunting, <laughs> the, the competition side of it, you know. But, yeah. you know, there's... You just got to be careful about how you do it and what you do it. My my release command has always been get. Uh, with I Con, use that one too. Yeah, with yep. I actually got so bad that I named one of my females get. <laughs> <laughs> because when she comes stumbling into a cast on accident, she's walking behind me, and they say, "What dog's that?" I can say, "That's get." <laughs> Did maybe you spell I it G I T? No, I, her name was actually Get Rhythm. Uh, she was out of duds and a timber tiger female, and I believe she's in Kansas now. She's a good coon dog, and I, they've yeah. done some winning with her. But uh, it's, you know, Con had come in at Super Stakes a couple times. He's come in at some other hunts a couple times. And all I would have to do if I was pleasure hunting is reach down, touch the dog's collar, and say, Get. And that dog yep. will fire. That dog will fire through there and, and get treed again. That's how I trained him. That's how that dog's been. He's seven years old now. That's how that dog's been all his life. And uh, but you can't do that in a cast, right? And you know, so you have to be careful on the methods of release, the methods of recall, uh, how you teach these dogs to do these things. Because you look at scent and rain, they'll all walk out with 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 scent. I leave the leash on her and just let her drag it. Mm-hmm. Uh, with rain, you don't even have to do that. And these are dogs that are still competing at a high level. But we put those handles on them late in their career. Uh, they were, uh, you know, Old Dollar was another example. He was four and a half before I decided that I was tired of leading him around. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it, you can do it. Uh, there's a lot of pros. Recall is an, I, w- I would suggest putting recall on any dog, whether you're going to compete with it or not. It, any dog needs a recall. Yes. They, I don't care if it's a I'm telling lap you right dog now, or what. This freaking Yog Terrier. That little sucker has got me pulling. I mean, he's just got me yeah. crazy. Um, he will recall when he wants to recall, and we're we're. I mean, it's just it's been a bear. But anyway, well, I always, hey, I, want, I always I want, recalled. I was just talking about how we do the recall. Is I always recalled mine the way I force fetch my retrievers, uh, yeah. force fetch my pointers. It's put pressure on them until they get back to you. The and problem not. is he knows exactly when he's got a knee collar. He knows when that pressure is there. He's a hundred percent money yeah. on when he's when he's got a knee collar on and he's got. I, I've got a plan. We're going to an enclosure, a small enclosure mm-hmm. where he can't get away from me. Uh, if he's got the if he's got the check line and the e collar on him, he's a hundred percent man. He looks yeah. like he looks like money. Yeah. Uh, he's just a hundred percent. But the minute he's off off that physical barrier of the check line then then he's getting he he looks at me like eh. and then you hit him with the stimulation and, and he just puts distance between you he's like really Screw you oh yeah yeah he's like even got, even, it, I'm on even if you leave it even if you leave it on him until he gets yeah. back to you that's crazy yep. yep he is he's like hey man i am busy i'm doing something and I'm out of here. So yeah, yeah. I've I've walked 500, 600 yards to get him after we've tried that crap. So the <laughs> the ne- the next the next deal is go to a small enclosure where he can't get away and, and make him realize that this isn't an option. But when I was when I was doing the retrievers, I had a 100 yard lane that was only six foot wide with uh, 
cattle panel or panel on each side or fence on each side they couldn't get through nice and nice. that's what i done my force to pile with that's what i done a lot of my force work with even the t-drills i had it teed off with gates mm-hmm. and so when i was doing t-work you know i could whistle them at the right spot turn them around give them a right give them a left and they could only go those directions yeah. and so that's something if you can get him in a narrow enclosure where the only option he has is back to you to release that pressure it ought to fix him but you yeah. know some dogs dogs are dogs can be smart and still stubborn oh yeah yeah he's I mean, Bo- bogan's he's a fine example of that too if those yeah. prongs ain't in his neck he's real slow now he'll always come and when i when i give him that real rough you know get your butt over here tone uh he'll get back to you but you know he knows when them prongs are in his neck and when he's not able to get stimulus at all right right well have you ever heard of richard walters he wrote yeah he, he wrote all gun the gun dog, dog books yeah water yeah. dog all yeah. that stuff one of his pieces of advice was is you know he was he i remember this he he said don't fill your dog's head up with a bunch of superfluous crap you know that yes. they don't need to know mm-hmm. you know just just focus in on the things you need train them to that standard and let all the other stuff kind of go you know be yeah. patient with it but but you know things like handling recall you know you've got to be diligent about that stuff but but don't try to over i'm i'm in the same boat don't try to overdo yeah. it you know my dogs i guess my hounds know sit and they yep. know get back and they know come yep uh you know and they know heal yeah but beyond that you know i don't expect them to to place train and and you know down and and stuff like that so a handle yeah. on a dog um is important but i my advice is don't overdo it yeah and you look at you look at like a bogan for instance uh he has his only purpose is to bite things that i tell him to bite and to come here and stay by me when i tell him to come here and stay by me i've tried Mm -hmm. not to clutter i've tried not to clutter him up like his sit is real it's not sloppy the minute i tell him to sit whether it's a remote uh, you know, away from me or at heel, yeah. uh, is real clean. But sometimes he'll lay down when he's sitting. He yeah. doesn't have a lay down command, but sit it literally means just don't move until I tell you to get up. That's right. I don't care if you're laying down. I don't I'm care good. if you're. That's good enough for me. Yeah. As long as you have more than those four feet touching the ground, it can be your whole belly, body, head, whatever, or you're just your butt. You're you're not allowed to get up until I tell you you can get up. Right. You know, right. there's no there's no shake. There's no down there's no rollover there's no any of that because the only purpose i have for him is to you know bite whatever i tell him to bite all right so to recap real quick and that that question was we we mentioned that was thanks billy for submitting that question but um to recap real quick the pros are for the recall definitely they have to have that yeah or no i'm sorry that was chip that was chip yeah. yeah i'm getting things confused here i'm sorry um chip so recall is important we've talked about how to keep things out of trouble and and why you need that and how you can avoid being scratched and stuff like that the cons are if you try to overdo it not only is it going to cause a lot of extend your training time with your dog but it's it's also going to cause it could cause you a lot of frustration with the dog it could so so um there there's a reason there's a place and a and a level of 
of con uh, uh, re reasons we need to have a handle, but but we don't need them being circus trick dogs. Right. Elvis was amazing, but it's not necessary. Yes, Elvis never won a world hunt. <laughs> there you go. There <laughs> you you know, go. I'm sure he was a great coon dog. I have no doubt. Yeah. But a yeah. lot of that stuff he didn't need to do the things that you know the dog was born and bred to do. Right. Exactly. All right. The next question we've got, and I'm looking through my. The next question we've got is, um, I'm scrolling through my phone here. I'm trying to find it. It was from is Hunter it? Corbin. Yep. Hunter Corbin asks, could a hound that's been started dry ground lion hunting and trailing those kind of tracks well be brought out east and used for bear hunting, or would that type of nose in the dirt trailing style be too slow to catch bears with that is your question hunter and i'll tell you what i did on this one since i've never started a dry ground dog i don't claim to be a dry ground lion hunter um you know josh whitaker with whitaker brothers hunting company good friend of mine he's been on the podcast before you know he hunts he hunts he's he's caught lions in old mexico you know he's he's caught lions in arizona new mexico colorado he prefers to dry ground lion hunt because he's an outfitter, he does a lot of snow stuff too, but he has a good balance and understanding between dry ground line hunting. And then he also uses those same hounds for bear hunting in the spring and, and things like that. And he sent some pups, uh, you know, around the country. So I thought he was a good person and I'm going to, I got him on the line and answer this question for you. You good with that, Josh? Yeah. I'd like to hear it. Yeah. Well, let's let's catch his Lord, part. Lord knows, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's let this conversation with Josh Whitaker and I answer that question for you, Hunter. I got Josh Whitaker on the line, and Hunter Corbin asked a question. I'm gonna read the question, Josh, and then I'm gonna turn you loose on it. All right? Yes, sir. All right. So could a hound that's been started dry ground lion hunting and trailing those kind of tracks well be brought out east and used for bear hunting, or would that type of nose-in-the-dirt trailing style be too slow to catch bears with? What do you think? I wholeheartedly believe uh, they can make very good bear dogs. I've seen it for years. I've seen a lot of, of uh, lion-bred hounds you know, bear hunters take them and, and expose them to bears and hunt them a lot on bears and they become outstanding bear dogs. I've seen a lot of them make that trans and make great dogs. So those were dogs that were already started on lions out there. And then a bear hunter picked them up and, and took them and they're screaming, screaming bear dogs. Yes. Yes. Okay. And my got some too that, I mean, we've got dogs that's, that's been bred for, for lions for decades, you know, these, these lion hunters, they, I'm talking about guys that don't hunt bear at all. Mm -hmm. They've their own dogs. They've kind of got their own lines going and they've been doing it for decades. And we've gotten dogs from these guys and started hunting them on bears. And I mean, they'll go from, we've got dogs that'll trail a, a cold, cold lion track, pretty much at a walk or a trot and then you know some of them end up making the 
the fastest catch bear dogs that we have, you know, the same, same dogs. So what do you think is the key ingredient there that, that the hound needs in order to be able to do both or catch any game? I think, I don't even think it's an opinion, Chris. I think, I think that the fact is you got to have drive. I think drive is the key ingredient. And I think nose, I mean, nose is obviously huge, but I mean, you can have the most powerful nose in a hound possible. And if they don't have the drive to use it, then you don't have anything in my opinion. That's, that's been my experience as well. I've seen, and this isn't ripping on, on any particular breed. It's just that this breed has been bred down from its intended purpose for a number of years, generally speaking. Okay. I know that not every line is out there, so don't send me hate mail for this, but if you take the uh, bloodhound, for instance, you know, scientifically that is the, the gold standard for olfactory ability, able to detect scent but you start talking about their desire to use it and the drive to use it then yeah they're they they a lot of that's been been bred out of them over the years they just don't have the desire to to track and decipher and and things like that uh like like the old stock was yes oh, i'm gonna yeah. get a lot of i'm gonna get a lot of hate mail on that <laughs> no uh, i mean it seems like like for example, just because I know this dog, we've got a we've got a male dog named Jag that we raised from a pup, and he's he seems to us like he's our coldest nosed dog, and he may very well be, but I think he has just another bump of drive that our other dogs don't have. So I don't know if it's that he's colder nosed or if he just has more drive. If that makes any sense, I think some guys will confuse drive with nose at times because it seems like Jag, like he'll push longer and harder on a bad cold track. On a line track. On a line track, yes. Or cold trail and a a really cold bear track even. Mm -hmm. But it's not, I don't think it's. The fact that he's got so much more nose than the rest of our dogs, because I just I don't believe that. I just think he's got more drive than the other dogs, and that's why he ain't longer. So, so he what happens when he when he gets to a jump or the the track keeps up? Is he still trailing behind, or is he is he running to catch at that point? Oh, he's running to catch. Is yes. he running out front? Yes, most of the time he is. I've got some dogs that can that can dang sure get in front of him. On you know, I've got I've got two catch dogs that that can dang sure get in front of him at times, but he is he will dang sure fly on one when when it's when it's right. So just to kind of lay this out and draw a picture on this, just because he's a he's a you know track grinding dog, when the jump happens. He's not staying way back there and thinking, okay, you guys go ahead. I'm going to track step to step. He's, he's got the brains to pick that head up and know that we got to jump and I need to get moving. Yes. Yeah. That's and that, cool. that, most guys that I know that I really, that my brother and I really look up to in the West, that's the way their dogs are. Yeah. They've got a whole pack of dogs that'll pound on a really 
tough, tough track at a very slow pace. But once it gets really fresh, them dogs will flat leave out and go get them caught. That to me is is the type of dogs that you want. You got to have a little bit of everything, obviously, but a lot of those slow pounding dogs, they've got some serious speed to them when they when it's when the track is right, they can flat get up and move. Yeah, I think that's uh, part of that pitfall that we all we all get into the tribalism within the hunting community, the hound community. You know, we get we get these ideas, these scientific community calls it paradigm paralysis, where we get caught in this thought process and we just are paralyzed in it where we believe that this color dog is better than this color dog or this, you know, or, or this style of dog is because it's being used in the Southwest. You know, we take a little bit of information and we develop opinion. Well, Southwest the tracks aren't as good. So you need a dog that, that tracks slower and things like that. But a lion runs the same speed. And if you track it one mile an hour, you're never going to catch a lion. At some point they got to get their heads up and catch them. Yes. Yes, that 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 is that's very true. And it's all about the dog's exposure to the quarry that you're chasing. You mm -hmm. know, and that's why you can take these these lion bred hounds and you can take them out out east. And if you hunt them and expose them to a lot of bears, a lot of them dogs will make outstanding bear dogs. No doubt in my mind, they'll make outstanding dogs. But it's it, you got to hunt them and you got to hunt them hard and you got to get, give them a lot of game. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd like to s take a ruckus or a jag pup. And, um, I, I'd love to see those dudes get on an Eastern bear and just see what they could do with it for sure. Yes. That'd be very, very interesting. Yeah. Well, Josh, I think that's going to answer our question, man. I appreciate you taking time to, to sit down and help us, help us with this. Cause you do, you do a lot of dry ground hunting. You do a lot of snow hunting. You do a lot of bear hunting. So, you, I mean, you've hunted everywhere from old Mexico up to the, the snowy peaks of Colorado and Utah. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Chris. Oh, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Josh. Thanks a lot, man. You bet, man. Take care. You too. All right. So. We uh, finished up that part with Josh Whitaker there. I thought it was intriguing and, and um, it was adult, you know, Josh in your mind, there's too many Josh's in this conversation. I'll just tell you <laughs> yeah. that right now. We've got Josh Michaelis on the podcast. All the, all the smart Josh. guys are called Josh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's arguable. Uh, but uh, in your mind, Okay, so in your mind, what is the most important factor for a dog to be able to catch its target game? What what Heart. characteristic does that dog have to have? They have to be intelligent enough to interpret the things that are coming through their nose and they have to have the heart to want to capitalize on that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's going to be 40% brains, 60% prey drive. Now, prey drive can be Prey drive is a strange thing. Uh, you can see it in every scene. I don't care if it's a little lasso-opso on some lady's lap that sees something skirt across the ground that the lady throws, or if it's a hound that will really bang out a cold track and tree it or something like that. But, but prey drive is equal to heart. 
that dog has to really want to. And then they have to have the intelligence to interpret the things that are coming through with a tracking dog that are coming through their nose and how to move that thing quickly. Yeah. Uh, that That's basically it. It's 40-60 to me. Uh, that dog has to really, really want to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think we get uh, pigeonholed in these ideas that a dog from here won't work in a dog in this region. And if you try to... It's not going to the first day you turn it loose, more than likely. Right. If it's if it's grown up in, you know, smelling sand and cactus buds in the southwest and you bring it back east here and you put it in, you know, a swamp, yeah. the scent picture is going to change and it's going to take a dog a certain amount of time to get accustomed to that. They're going to have to figure that out. But if they've got the drive, if they've got the desire to run and catch game, if you give them the proper time to adjust and and let them have that exposure to those environments i don't care if you bring them from the swamp and take them to the desert or you take them from the desert and you bring them to the swamp wet conditions that dog still has the same desire regardless mm -hmm. of where you're turning them loose the really great ones have the ability to block out noise and to block out things they're singularly focused uh yeah. you take a dog say you know the burdens or the ingles or the uh, guys in Michigan that are driving down to Texas and hunting and still winning. You know, those guys have dogs that block out all the noise. Now, to us, noise is things we see, things we hear. Mm -hmm. uh, to a dog, noise is everything that's coming through their scent, yep. through through their nose. Uh, 75% a... of the world, they see through their nose. Exactly. And so they, the dogs that are singularly focused, even if it's a new smell, uh, you've been hunting them in the Midwest and you take them down into hog and armadillo country that they've never seen or smelled before. Uh, the, the great ones block all that out and they ignore that because that's not the game that they're supposed to be trailing, you know? So they're, they're laser focused, uh, driven dogs that have, uh, a one track mind and, you know, one track mind. I don't know where that term comes from, but I'm guessing it comes from some kind of dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, you know what? I think you just tapped into something right there. Mm -hmm. Well, Hunter, I think to uh, recap your question, I, I absolutely, I think a dog that it's got all the, the traits that it needs to be a dry ground lion, lion dog, I wouldn't be afraid to take. As a matter of fact, I talked to Josh after the podcast about bringing one of his pups back here and starting him on coon. So uh, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But that's definitely a dog that's that's bred for that southwest environment. Yeah. So I wouldn't be afraid of it. I'm looking for a bit, traits more that you know the actual traits it takes to to be successful running, catching, tree and game than I am, you know, where it came from. Agreed. Yep. Yep. Well, I've got I've got another one here, and this one's right in your lane. This is one that they named you by named you by uh, specifically. <laughs> uh, Billy George, Billy George asks. Uh, I'll just read his comment. It says, "Haven't yeah, been ahead. in a haven't been in a comp hunt in like six years. What advice would you give, and how much has the comp world changed?" Maybe the elitist could chime in. That's you, Josh. <laughs> well, since Finley ain't here, I'll go ahead and fill in and do the best that I can. <laughs> um, we've talked about this on The Truth, and we've talked about this on the regular Houndsman XP podcast. Uh, 
and we've even talked about it with Heath and everything, there's a lot of levels to comp hunting. When people say, I want to go to a comp hunt, uh, what kind of hunt do you want to go to? Because the local $30 hunts and the local UKC hunts, they haven't changed much. You know, a lot of it is pretty much the same. Uh, you go, you got a dog that's 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 pretty good. You're going to win your fair share. You got a dog that isn't, you're going to get beat. Nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed in my eyes in the last six years is the high dollar uh, pro classics. Uh, the, the pro sport has come on here the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of levels to this game, and the highest level has changed Tournament a lot. of champions. Yes, tournament of champions came in and changed the game in the UKC side. The, yep. There's a hunt that pays $50,000, and you're hunting in the United Kennel Club. That wasn't there six years ago. Nope. Uh, six years ago, we were going out to Autumn Oaks and competing in the Grand Masters with Trader Dogs. That was, mm -hmm. I believe, a five or $10,000 win, and that was the biggest thing that, that UKC paid at the time. So that yeah. part's changed. Uh, to be successful whether it's at the local level or at the pro classic level, it literally, people say there's a comp dog and there's a hide dog. And that's true on some circumstances. You know, some of the, some of the high level dogs are not fun to pleasure hunt, but a lot of them are, you know, a lot of these dogs that are winning big are still fun to go out and just tree coons with. So really, if you want to compete and you haven't done it in six years, go there with an open mind. Don't go there with a the chip on your shoulder and uh, go there with a dog that's really good at tree and coons in the crowd, and you're going to be just fine. Well, that was short. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> that That is one thing that has <laughs> lasted the test of time. You got a dog that's really good at tree and coons and can block out all the noise like we talked about earlier. And by noise, I mean dogs that are covering them, dogs that are tree and coons in front of them. That's one other thing that we don't talk about near enough is some of these dogs are independent to a fault to where, you know, you get that coon jammed on you out of the truck. That dog ought to be there. You know, it shouldn't mm -hmm. pout around and hang at that tree for four or five minutes and then decide to go out and tree at some coon. That's a fault. Uh, we've, we've I'm glad changed to hear you it. say that. Yeah. We've changed our ideas. If on you, that, if you, if you dump out, the, if you dump out the truck, and everything's run. It runs down this lane, and in the corner of this woodlot, bang! You strike a coon. I yep. want my dog to be there. I want him. To I get, do too. I want him to be the fastest one to get to tree. Yep. But if they're not, I don't want to be cheated out of that seventy-five or whatever it is. Right. And then on the recast, you can get in the world and you can do whatever you want to do. But you've got you've got between an hour and two hours to get that dog split up and tree its own coon. Yep. You don't yep. want to sacrifice that coon out of the pickup. Uh, unless your dog is just laser fast and more talented than everything out there. And at the high level, these dogs are all super talented. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to have their coons. You're going to have to count on seeing raccoons every time you walk to another dog's tree when it's off by itself. So yeah, I want mine there. Uh, that's, that's cost us some hunts because we have dogs that won't be there if everything piles in with them or, you know, something trees in front of them. That's cost us a lot of money, you know, and of course we, you can win with dogs that, that do that, but it's getting to the point now, these guys are such good breeders and such good trainers. And there's so many good dogs out there. That's a common myth. That a lot of these good dogs are gone. There's a lot of good dogs out there and they're hard to beat. You better, you better have an edge. And right now that edge is getting a piece of that coon out of the pickup. I'll tell you one of the things that I've seen change 
and it's not necessarily been in this last six years, but I entered my first competition hunt in 1985. And if you had, if you had a, a coon dog, a dog that could go out and, and consistently tree raccoons and be pretty common about it, then you could compete at, at, yeah. a, at the highest level. You really yeah. could. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've drawn Beller's Pac-Man and hunted with Russ Beller and stuff. And he was a phenomenal dog. But the thing that, you know, in 1985, if you had a dog that would go get treed and stay treed. And stay treed. And stay treed. Yeah. That and was then, the main thing back then was staying treed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, with company, strange company, then then you had as good a shot as anything. Yeah. The thing, the thing that I've seen, I think we have seen a transition period where we have gone from um, a bunch of guys with coon dogs that want to get together with their buddies and compete to more of a, a horse racing type atmosphere. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that own horses in this world, you know, and they're pasture ornaments and they ride them on the weekends. There's ranchers that ride them every day. But there aren't very many that qualify for the Kentucky Derby every year. Yeah. And w- with the money involved and the different things, that what's at stake with all the different registries, we're starting to see that separation and that, that true, that dog that is, has got what it takes and then is specifically trained and bred for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Do you see that? I do see that. And... I want to say, I'm going to just throw a number out there. The dogs that compete at the highest level consistently, there's probably at any given time, 200 of them in the world. And they're thanks to social media and, uh, all the hunts. And I mean, there's so many hunts now that yep. these dogs can't be hidden. You know, we, we talk about Mongo that's, that's up there in Minnesota and here's a dog that could win by all accounts, by your account and Strickland's account. And of course, Chad Shima owns him and by his account, Wyatt Monin was on uh, the joy podcast right. with me and talked about John Mongo and how good he was and how the dog was by himself and with coons. These dogs aren't hidden anymore. Right. There's no, there's no behind the barn coon dogs and diamonds in the rough. And so these dogs, they're known, you know, we know about them. Yeah, and we try to get our hands on them and we try to go in at them, but there, there's only so many that can that can go down. Laplata's having a 64-dog hunt, $2,500 entry here in a couple of weeks. And, you know, there's only so many that can go compete at that and make your 2500 back. Yeah. But, you know, we, we know about them. And so that's changed. That's one thing that's changed, especially in the last six years, is there's not any hidden gems. Every now well, that, and then you'll see Is that see because one. of social media? Is that because... I think it is. I, I think some of it is. I think it's about, yeah. you know, but I'd say 50% is social media and the other 50% is these guys are looking now. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're looking the, the, the John Strickland's and That's the guys right. like that. They're looking because they can just go, they can go give you an obscene, obscene amount of money for this dog and then they can go win it back. You know, they could pay. Right. You look at game changing page, just one, another truck. We, nobody had ever heard of page. But Strickland had found her, you know, he'd went and he won with her. Big country was the same way. You know, you guys had her and you were competing at a local level. And then all of a sudden someone sees that at the local level because they're looking because they knew Ashley Oxendine was looking. Yeah. He, uh, after he won those two 
two national months, you know, yeah. two months in the national race, then he started getting a lot of attention and stuff like that. Yeah. But you're right. There's nothing hidden anymore. There's uh, a lot of these handlers that are handling for the the owners out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one thing we've seen too is, is, and we started to see it back in the early 2000s and stuff. Owners that had, you know, employed handlers that that's all yep. they did. But now it's it's a real thing, and it's that's why I say it's more like a horse racing deal where, you know, in the horse racing industry, you've got the owner, you've got the trainer, and then you've got the jockey. And right. we're starting to see this thing kind of take the same path, you know, where it's where it's uh, uh, going down that same road. So, yeah, that's that's the biggest change I think. But uh, to to. You know, advice would be, I think you gave some good one. Uh, you gave a good piece of advice. Just go and try it. Don't have a chip on your shoulder. Um, you know, if you're walking into a clubhouse looking for a fight, somebody's going to give it to you. Yep. And uh, and speaking of jockey, shout out to Michael Ward. I, I've been keeping <laughs> up. Keeping up. What's it? Has he been oh, nothing, been not that he's just, been not that he's just really good? small. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if the coon dog thing doesn't work out, you might start yeah, He could always be Michael. a jockey. I love Michael. Michael's a good dude. I just had to throw that little dig in. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's been some big changes. Good advice is to go with, a, you know, just like the the podcast we dropped not too long ago about, and he's talked about always be learning. You know, yeah. that's the thing that I've always noticed about people that are successful. They don't go into it thinking they've already got it figured out and learn it learn the game learn learn there's a whole different culture there so and when you when you get your lesson it's going to cost you 30 or 50 or 200 or whatever you're going to get some lessons you know when yep. you get back into it these guys that have been doing it for a living uh you still look at some of these top handlers and they're still competing at lesser events too and and they're going to beat you and you're going to you're going to get you're going to get some education uh just chalk it up and and use it on next on the next run it's the best thirty dollars you'll ever spend. That's right. And we yep. we got our we got our, and I I still get them. And the part of being a good houndsman is being humble, uh, changing your tactics, changing your ways, knowing when your dogs are not at the level they need to be. You know, know your dog, know your know your ability, and and don't be jealous or mad or angry. Just just try to get better. Yeah, just just look at any professional sport. Take yep. UFC for instance. You know, when UFC first came out, look how much has changed since then. You yep. know, the style of fighters. You know, you never heard anything about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You you had punchers. You had yeah. Well, you did have some BJJ going on there, but uh, uh, now you're hearing Muay Thai and you're hearing all this other stuff yep. coming out. And it, you've got to be willing to change. And and the guys that are successful at this have recognized that and they've either bred for it, they've trained for it, uh, but they've paid attention to what it, what it takes to win. Everything evolves. Every, every competition, I don't care if it's an athletic event or if it's with a dog or whatever, everything evolves. You look, of course, I'm a big UFC fan and I watched the Adesanya fight, you know, last weekend and I never dreamed a style bender would lose. And, you know, he gets knocked out in the fifth after, after dominating a fight. And, you know, it is what it is. Sometimes yeah. that happens. Yeah, and you can guarantee that people are watching that film to see how that happened. Yeah, 
And the, the guys that are hungry, the guys that really yeah. want to win, they're looking at that and they're dissecting it and they're thinking, okay, what do you do that was different? And they're gonna yeah. they're gonna they're gonna take it and they're gonna capitalize on it and try to improve it. The important thing about going into competition hunting, even if you've done it and you've had a break and you're going back, or if you've never done it before, is to know that you you have to decide for yourself, and that that all depends on the handler what you want out of your competition coon hunting career. Yep. You have to decide whether you want to just go have fun and compete at the local level and take your lumps and and you know enjoy your wins and and just have fun or if you want to do this for a living because that is an option now you know it it's a, it's it's not for the faint at heart it's not easy and it's a long hard road to hoe but uh yeah there's there's all kinds of levels you just have to know what you want before you ever go into it it's a good answer you ready to move on yeah what we got <clears throat> next let's um this, this one's for me, I guess. Yeah, go ahead. It's a, is this from Kyle Daniel? And this will be short. Maybe. Is it a hair care tip? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Definitely not. Now, back in the day, I'm telling you, man, I never would have thought I'd ever. I never would have thought. You know how they say your baldness comes from your mom's side? I don't know, uh -huh. man. I mean, all my there was something going on there. I'm not sure what happened, but... Uh, um, yeah, I'm, nobody in my family is bald except me. <laughs> well, you're the black sheep, pal. You bet. You bet. My mom blames it on uh, Desert Storm atropine. Yeah. Who knows? Um, all right, Kyle Daniel. It mm -hmm. said, Kyle Daniel asks, if you had to choose only one dog hunting activity to do for the rest of your life, which would it be? Coon hunting with hounds, big game hunting with your plots, or terrier work? And why? All right, I, I've thought about this a little bit. I'm thinking that, based on my experience, and this this is kind of a complicated question because each part of it presents a different uh, reward. It's a different challenge, but you know, coon hunting with hounds. And I'm not sure why he said big game hunting with plots. I'm glad he did because, uh, you know, diehard die plot enthusiasts do not call them plot hounds. They call them plot dogs or they just call them plots. Um, Hold on a second. The one out. thing that I know that I don't want to do <laughs> is spend the rest of my life coon hunting with plots. That's I do know that. Why do they, why are they not plot hounds? The, the diehard. Okay. So there's still some rub with, uh -huh. it's, interbreed politics it goes back to you know ukc adopting the plot as a recognized breed and calling it a plot hound when you had the original breeders of the plot in the in the appalachian region that said we never bred these dogs to be hounds or plots or plot dogs so you've you've, you've got a lot of of traditionalists that still uh refer to them as a plot dog so i would say kyle daniel is also in that that frame of mind so i appreciate that <clears throat> um coon hunting with hounds is always going to be something that that i'll probably always do i think it's a great gateway i don't uh for it's available to me right here i mean i live in the breadbasket of of coon hunting the world in indiana and um, it's it's just so accessible to me that that i can't imagine having hounds and never hunting 
raccoons with those hounds. Um, big game hunting with plots. That that is going to be um, that has some some financial uh, roadblocks with it. You know, when you're driving six or seven hours to yeah. get into bear country. And with fuel the way it is and different things like that, I've questioned a few times recently whether whether or not this is something that I want to continue to do. But let's just cut to the chase on the terrier work and why. That little Yog Terrier out there, I'm I he's a pain in the ass. <laughs> I don't want to dig that sucker out of Nate Valley, hallelujah. I love you, buddy. I'm glad that you like digging deep holes to get these terriers out. But I'm trying to figure out how to how to break mine from from going in the ground after stuff. <laughs> I know it's not going to happen, and I haven't been real. You know, I'm just joking about that. But but the thought of him getting buried in one of these creek banks, um, I'm starting to question my my sanity of of going and getting his yacht. He is he's a hoot. He's fun. I love to coon hunt him, but I'm one of those guys that that. Um, wish he acted more like a hound but he's not going to he's never going to he's a terrier man he's he's a wild man um but as if i had to if i could pick whatever i wanted to do for the rest of my days my the rest of my hunting days i would i would relocate to southwest usa and i would be a bear and lion lion dog guy down there in those mountains and um ben lily moved out there when he's 50 and um i'm i'm still in good enough shape that i can do that and i just love it there i love it in the southwest and uh, the weather's not hateful and uh, they've got for now they've got they've got good seasons and and opportunity and a lot of public land that's the biggest thing that it, that that i struggle with as much as anything being here in indiana especially this time of year with deer hunting, deer leases, things like that. You know, I'm kind of on lockdown except with the exception of a few uh, places that I can go and hunt and, and do that with without worrying about where dogs are headed or what they're doing. But I would like to be, the rest of my hunting days, I would probably take uh, my, my hounds and go hunt bears and lions and bobcats. Would they be plot dogs? Uh, they'd be whatever dog is going to do the job right. You know, uh, yeah. the, the, just like Josh Whitaker, uh, talked about, you know, his hounds intrigue me. I've actually considered, uh, the next litter that jazz has that she's going to be sired. It's going to be sired by a plot, you know, and yeah. bring, bring both those worlds together. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's my answer to that. I can't say as I blame you. I really can't. I mean, I know what my answer would be, and people may be surprised by my answer or something like that, but I would almost pick uh, a beautiful line of English setters and quail. Yeah. Before, because there's just, uh, there's nothing like that breed and that target animal uh, to me. Now, don't get me wrong, I love my hounds and I love, my beagles and my squirrel dogs and my retrievers and, and all the things, but there is nothing like uh, an English setter that is, that is really talented and really good at flushing one of the most elusive game animals on the planet. I don't care what you're talking about. A uh, Bob white quail wild is 
is an amazing animal. Yeah. And and they taste a lot better than a coon too. Well, Seth <laughs> Seth says that jackrabbits are a superior life form. Do you think the quail is? Well, I know jackrabbits will live longer than quail. Uh, Clay Newcomb <laughs> was was one of the persons that says he never trusts ground nesting birds, and I agree. Uh, <laughs> I and the reason I don't do it is because I had to pick one. You know, I had to pick yeah. uh, between the setters and and the walkers, and I chose walkers because I've done it longer. Uh, I knew it was always going to be readily readily available, and I could compete with those better and competition still important to me uh mm-hmm. it was with my retrievers and and every other dog i've ever had uh i actually wanted to do some shoot to retrieve stuff with some of my setters but they didn't have the point style that i needed uh but yeah they were it's there's nothing like it and yeah. they're amazing they're amazing animals that have been bred for so long and they're so pretty and the the game that the quail that uh, specifically are such an amazing animal that i just that, that's one of the things that still intrigue me to this day yeah yeah i'll tell you i can't write off that trip that i make the up every year with with mm-hmm. alan gingrich and just i gotta go up there with, with his, alan one of these days with his beagles is yeah. just it's a, just a different style of hunting it's more mm-hmm. laid back it's more relaxed uh you know maybe it's because i, I i'm almost scared to get beagles though because I know what I would do. I've done it with every, just like you, I've done yeah. it with every single thing. You know, it's like, okay, I've got beagles. Now I want the best beagle. Yeah. Okay. If I've got the best beagle, then I've got to prove that I've got the best beagle. Yeah. Uh, that means going and hitting the competition trail. Uh, I think as I get older, then that le- means a lot less to me. And I just enjoy the value of the hunt. And I take different values out of hunting now than, than what I did when I was 30. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Everybody I was involved. squirrel dogging, man, yeah. when I was squirrel dogging it, I mean, I wasn't even fun to hunt with. I was just yeah. uber competitive, you know, driven to make, if a dog, if a dog made a mistake and I, you know, everybody else is like, Oh, just relax. It's no big deal. Dogs do that all the time. It's like, my dog's not going to, yeah. you know, and you, and, and guys are just like, ah, oh, he's too uptight. You know, was, was, that, always was that before or after you had children? It was while I had children. I burned. Yeah. I burned all my kids out on hunting with me. Yeah. I mean, just because everything was too serious. I think my children, and God bless them. I love them more than anything on this planet. But they are a bigger reason that I evolved my hunting than anything on that that could ever happen. Because first of all, they if anything teaches you patience, it's kids. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, I went from. If a dog looked bad, I had a bad day the next day. Me too. You know, and if a, if I was bird hunting, or even if I, when I was waterfowl hunting really hard, and I, I still do all these things. I don't do them like I do with, with coon hunting. But uh, I was just like you. I wasn't fun to waterfowl hunt with. Uh, I wasn't fun to bird hunt with. Because if my dogs looked bad, I was mad and mm-hmm. angry and miserable to be around for days. And then the kids come along, and as they grow, they teach you uh, so much patience, uh, yeah. because you know it's not like it's not like a dog that's going to be gone in ten or twelve years. You know these kids are going to be around until I die, God willing. Yeah. And so it's just a different situation, and they teach you. And you know we just we evolve and we grow, and and our priorities change. And but still, uh, 
you know, my dogs look bad. I still have a bad hour or two, <laughs> you know, but after that it, it's over and it's done. And I think I'm a better hunter for it now, especially yeah. on the dog side. I'm a better trainer for it for sure. But yeah, we uh, evolve uh, a lot and you know, I may, everything may change again in four or five years. Who knows? Yep, for sure. Well, Kyle, thanks for asking that question, man. That, that's a, that was a good topic to talk about. And, um, yeah, I, I think we do learn a lot from our kids and being parents. I'm, I treat my dogs a lot different now than, than I did then. So I do too. I'm soft anymore. I am too. I get I'm, softer by the day. Yep. A lot, a lot more. I think I'm, it's more tolerable. You know, I, I yeah. look at it and I'm more understanding Yeah. and realize that it's not the end of the world. And, uh, even, even with the you know, my kids are all grown. So, all right, let's move on. Let's move on. We'll hit one more. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple that, that I could not line up. And one of them is from Kevin Hall. He asked about radios and garments and things like that. And I wasn't able to get this lined up for, um, uh, an answer from somebody that would actually know. So mm -hmm. Kevin, I'm going to skip that, but I promise you that that's something we'll cover in the future. Um, all right, Brenna Rochelle, this is her this is her question. And I this is interesting to me. It says I have a six month old puppy that I've been running on coon with an older dog this fall. Sometimes when he barks on track, I question whether he is barking on the dog track versus a coon track. How do I stop him from barking on dog tracks without pre uh, preventing him from going out? hunting with the others or is it something that i should not worry about for now side note my goal is to make him a bear dog so i don't need him to be good at treeing coon i'm just hoping to build a foundation of tracking and treeing before i start him on bear next summer i a lot, like a lot going yeah. on there. well the last part uh made it a lot easier for me because always when someone asks me a dog question is what are your goals for the dog <laughs> yep and so once we know the goals for the dog, um, odds are the dog is barking behind dogs. Yep. You know, he's six, he's, he or she is six months old. Uh, it's not built to keep up yet. Uh, the dogs are leaving him. Uh, they're probably leaving hard. Uh, he's, he or she's probably barking a little bit behind them. And right now that's okay to me. Uh, that's not something I would be concerned about if I'm looking for a dog to run in a bear pack. Now, if that's a competition dog that I'm looking to coon hunt, that's maybe a problem that I don't like. But I wouldn't, personally, I wouldn't do anything to the dog. I'd, I would probably let it get matured up, uh, get it back in the pack. And that problem, 90% of the time, if you have a dog which in a bear pack you want them to be together, uh, that's not an issue, that that's going to solve itself in my eyes. Yeah, six months old. I mean, we're talking kindergarten level type stuff, and we're asking them to go out and run with the high school track team or the professional right. track team. And it's just not it's just not realistic. It doesn't mean you shouldn't take your kid to track practice. It just means that uh, you've got to have the realistic expectations. You don't want to discourage mm -hmm. the kid from from running laps at the track, uh, but you've got to have the realization that the way you handle it now is going to have long lasting implications on the performance down the road. And it kind of goes back to what we just talked about, about, um, you know, me burning my kids out on hunting, 
you know, yeah. too high a level of expectations and, and being too serious about it. I just like taking pups out. They grow up running loose here at the place and they'll tag along with me. If they decide that they're going, they'll tag along. If they don't, when I, and I can hunt right here from the house when I'm, when I've got young dogs like that running around, if, if they want to go, they can go. If they don't, okay, you know, whatever you're over there chewing on a bone, whatever. Yep. I don't care. And if they go out and they do stuff, they go do stuff and just a lot of puppy time, man. We, yep. we, we put way too much, uh, pressure on these young dogs to, perform at an early age and i think i think part of the 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 thing that's contributed to that in the coonhound world is that baby stakes yeah. um you know it's really put a lot of pressure on people not that it means anything if you win the baby stakes except bragging rights and being able to yeah. post your picture on social media and and talk about the successes of your litters and stuff and i've always i've come to the conclusion that i want strong finishers not early starters so I'm in a I'm in a little bit different boat. Uh for the simple reason that I can't set on a dog for two years to let it be good. You know, I can't. You know, right. I'm just not I'm not in that situation. Uh ninety out of ninety nine percent of the dogs that, that I sell to other hunters are between twelve months old and sixteen months old. At that time I can tell what they're gonna be and whether I can compete with them the way i want to compete with them or not but a bear pack is a completely right. different situation I don't, uh, that I, dog's got plenty of time to be a dog and to do what you want it to do and say that dog's two years old two and a half years old before it starts showing a, a little improvement or not even a little improvement they should show a little, a little improvement as they get older all the time but they can be what they are going to be later in life and still be a fantastic bear dog for a lot of years Instead of, yeah, so when we're talking about young dogs, I would disagree with you about the bear, bear dog thing. You know, you want to see that potential. And I think that gets into a different area of the conversation. Yeah. You know, it, you've got to be a good enough hound, hound man or woman in this case to recognize that potential. You know, what else is the puppy doing at that age that is good? Yeah. You know, they're going hunting. They want to be there, yeah. so that's good. They're, they've got that pack mentality for bear hunting. Um, in a coonhound, you see a dog, a young dog that that just has those flashes of greatness. You know, they disappear for for forty five minutes, and and what are they doing? Well, who knows? But they're gone from my feet. Yeah. You know, that's all good. So I wouldn't focus on on this issue about the bad things that are pup the puppy's doing i say at six months old if a puppy is and he is a puppy because he's not even physically matured to uh to keep up the fact that he's going and putting in the effort i think she's got a diamond in the rough right there even even as a coonhound you know competition coonhound side of it at six months old i'm still giving them a lot of leeway yep me too you know the only thing they have to do at six months old is not puke in the box <laughs> that's it you're right yeah <laughs> you know yep. now eight to eight to nine months old they better not be around me uh by a year old i want them tree and a coon by their self an easy coon right uh you know i have those staggered goals you know that i like to set for a dog and don't get me wrong there's there's exceptions to every rule uh, i've seen dogs that 
I didn't like or that I didn't have at the point that I want them to be at at 11 months old, but still made great serviceable coon dogs. You know, there's yep. exceptions to every rule, but at six months old, if he's going hunting and he or she, I can't remember if it was a dog male or female, but if that pup is going hunting at six months old and it's barking behind dogs a little bit, that's a non-issue even for me. Yeah. Yep. Let pups be pups, man. Focus yep. on the good them, things you're them, doing. Yep. Let them be dogs. Yep. Yep. All right. Here's a, Here's the last one we're going to read. And um, we got to cut it off somewhere. But uh, Chuck Reynolds. Chuck's been a great supporter of the podcast. I, mm-hmm. I was glad to see him, him uh, chime in here. So this is his question. I have treated bear in training season and not had any trouble with them wanting to come out when I get there. Even at times, try to get them to, to back down the tree. I'm paraphrasing here. For pups and young dogs to see to help fire them up tree. And sometimes they still won't come down, but come killing season... Uh, they will want to come out as soon as I get there. I've thought about this for quite a while, and I have a theory as to why I think the bear smells the gun or the powder or the gun oil and and has been conditioned as a cub. That smell means trouble. What's your thoughts on this? Um, The first thing is, you know, approach tree upwind, you know, and see if it makes a difference for you, Chuck. But but for me... um, by the time the hunting season comes in or it's taking season and you can start, you know, how many times has that bear been treed? How many times have your dogs actually ran him and treed him? I think there's a lot of factors there. Um, the bear's olfactory sense is, is phenomenal, but I, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm buying into the powder oil and smells of the gun at this point. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not super qualified to answer this question, but I know game animals, uh, dogs know when it's kill season. Yeah. Uh, how, how different are your dogs acting on that tree? Yep. Are your dogs putting more pressure on the bear because they know they may have a chance to have some fur in their mouth? Yep. You know, are they pushing that bear harder, uh, just because they know it's kill season? The weather's uh, changing. Know, the the yeah. scent picture in the woods changes. Exactly. You get that older dog that that kind of, you know, they just they give you a, a good race. But man, when that, I mean, we see it even in our coon dogs, Josh. Yeah. Those nights when you walk out and the temperatures dropping, and they're standing at the gate of the kennel waiting to go hunting. It's like yeah. tonight's the night. They tell you when you it's can, a good night. You can always tell when a cold front's coming in with all yeah. these dogs. Deer uh, cons, the... cons out there pacing right now, uh, chirping around, wanting to go hunting. Duds, even Duds, who's 12 years old and running loose in the yard, came out to greet me tonight when I went to go do chores. Yeah. And was wagging his tail and wanting to jump in the back of the truck. Yeah. Uh, the dogs know, the bears know, the coons know. The deer uh, know. They, yes, they yep. know when things. How many deer do you see in august that you can walk right up to you know at noon and they don't say they don't do nothing and then you bust that big buck in november and he's two counties over yeah you never see him you know these these animals have an ability and uh senses that we cannot fully understand just the amount of daylight you know you take i don't care if it's our dogs or our bears or whatever there's things that we can't comprehend that, that that they know that we don't bear you take a bear for instance, you know, he's lived through, you know, maybe two seasons, three seasons. Yeah. And uh, 
I know I know Chuck's from Virginia, so we're not talking about the North River company, North River country or the Salmon River. There's a yeah. good chance that dogs that that bear's seen some dogs. Yeah. You know. Um, so there's that, a good chance that bear's seen other bears during bear season. <laughs> you yeah. Know, yeah. That, uh, you know, Larry was here yesterday. Them dogs treat him. He ain't here today. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. I was I was fe- eating acorns with Larry yesterday. And yeah. Larry, yeah. Larry bought the farm. Ex- exactly. But, you know, day daytime. There is a, a photos, you know, there is something to the, the photo sensibility of, in wildlife. It's how uh, deer grow antlers. It's how, mm-hmm. you know, just different things that it'd be like us not knowing. We know and yeah. they know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you walk into the house at night and you think those coons are moving tonight, you know, you that know? dog has that dog has that same sense. Yep. You know, it's, it's, and that bear has that same sense. Yeah. They make a living on it, man. Exactly. They make a living on it. So yeah. Thanks for, thanks Chuck. We appreciate all the support you've given us over the years and, and different things like that. And, um, yeah, I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear Chuck's theory on this as well. Yeah, I would too. He, he gets, he gets a chance to send that to us. Yeah. Send me a message. Tell me what your yep. theory is. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll do a, a, a follow-up on that one because yeah, good point. I'd like to hear his theory too. He's got one. Yeah, my theory is that that bears are just overgrown raccoons anyway. So I mean, this may do me some good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's going to do it. I think we we've covered everything. There is one more if you want to if you want to tackle it here. I'm, I'm all ears, pal. And I got read I got to read this one because Steve Bennett and I have been hunting together since we were kids. Is there a good, safe way to change a female's heat cycle to not interfere with certain major events? Drugs, breeding, seems like it always comes around super stakes and world hunt time. Mm-hmm. What's your experience with that, Josh? Your non-scientific, non-veterinary medicine type type opinion on that? Drugs, no. Uh, I've heard too many horror stories. Uh, my brother said trouble with venus uh we had trouble with uh the missy female when i was young uh no i i wouldn't i wouldn't interfere chemically uh with their heat cycle uh breeding yes if you want no don't get me wrong uh if you want pups out of this dog don't just breed her to some random male just to get her heat cycle changed but you know find the right stud uh do the right thing get pups that that you would want to buy and raise and train uh you can change it a little bit then, but even then, it seems like with our females that that their heat cycle moves back, you know, into that original position. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to change it for long. You may get you may get a year of super stakes or world hunt out of that dog that you wouldn't have got, but eventually you're going to get right back in the same boat. Uh, just my advice is to just enjoy your dog. You know, you you obviously got a good dog if you're worried about super stakes and world hunt. Uh, enjoy the fact that you have her and that you were blessed with her and raise some wonderful pups out of her and keep a male next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My old buddy, Jerry Maul, he's like hunted females his whole life. And his theory is, you know, females come in to heat twice a year, a male dog's yeah. in heat 365 days a year. I um, have, I have better luck with males due to my training strategies and, and abilities, but 
by six, seven years old, my males are burned out. And next thing you know, I'm packing a female to a hunt. Yep. Yep. No, Steve, I, I, I'm with Josh on this one. Stay away from the drugs, stay away from the, the shots. And that, that includes drugs that induce heat cycles. Uh, right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into that haphazardly. I would do a lot of research on that before. And there were, are some vet, veterinarians out there that can answer that question a lot better than we can. But, man, there's so many opportunities out there. Why worry about a super stakes or a world hunt right. when you can win a truck? You can win $100,000. Yeah. And, and you're going to get the same benefits without having, I don't know, you know, you want that world hunt championship title. You know, it's it's yeah. a beautiful thing. That's what we all work for. But, but man, having a female that's Mill Creek Molly, you know, she was the PKC money winner for a long time. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever discredited her because she was a female and she came in heat at world hunt time. She was yep. a hammer. Yep. So No, you can still get all the good out of Ruby. a dog. With, yeah. Yeah, Ruby's never won a world hunt. Yeah. Ruby, Ruby got... I think she got third at Super Stakes one year, but yeah, she's there's there's hunts every weekend. Uh, you can get your notoriety, you can get the good out of the dog. Uh, just my advice is just enjoy the dog. You know, they're, they they uh, the good ones don't come around as often as we like, and so just in, enjoy the time you have with her and and don't don't overthink it, don't overdo it, and definitely don't mess with what God intended. Yep, well, that's a good one. Well, you got anything else? I don't. Appreciate Elitist? you finally finally getting me on one of these. Uh, I've listened to all of them, and I'm thinking, you know, well, that's that's not what I would say. So I I finally badgered you enough to get me on here. With you. <laughs> it was just a matter of time for sure. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, these this is a wonderful format, and I'm glad to be able to to talk to the listeners. You know, in this, it's good. What's Joy got coming up? Anything you can let out of the bag? We we have some pretty good news with Joy. Uh, of course, we got the Super Hunt coming in, in February. Uh, we hope you get hope to get you down there, Chris. I think it'll be fun. I think you'd enjoy it as well. And then uh, we're going to be start, in Mississippi. That is going to be in Texas. Texas, that's yep. even better. Not yep, just south, about two hours south of where you guys were for the Terrier stuff. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it'll be fun. And then uh, we're going to start doing. Uh, the media coverage for the pro sports stuff, uh, oh. starting in Good Good Springs, Alabama, on December sixteenth. Uh, we're going to go down there with some of our office staff. We're going to do a lot of live shots. We're going to do some edited stuff. It's going to be all on our YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to do stuff with the podcast as well, and and you know Houndsman XP, of course, is going to be part of that because you know we're we're one and the same. And so, uh, yeah, joy's, joy's banging, uh, everything's going great. And we're happy to bring this to the customer because that's, it's part of the sport that we love. Sounds good, man. That's why I love having joy on, on board. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we 100% support, uh, hunting with dogs. I don't care if it's bird dogs, retrievers, hounds, but you know, as well as I do with me and Wade and, and even Chip and Chip Sr. and stuff that that our our hearts are in the hound sports and that's what we want to support and so we're going to try to keep doing that. Yep, yep. That's what we've always been about is bringing these companies to the forefront. I mean, I, I look at it and I'm thinking a company that, that is supporting the most important parts of our lifestyle and the things that we love to do and youth programs and, yep. you know, 
why why not you know i want to bring uh, our job is to bring this whole hounding hound hunting community all of its economic power all of its political pull to save this lifestyle yeah. that we all love so and i found the joys on board with that yeah there are there are a ton of good dog foods out there there's a yeah. lot of them and and we support those as well but as a as a dog food company uh no one's going to give houndsmen the support that joy is i mean yeah. that's that's why i work for them other than them having a fantastic product and that's why houndsman xp you know totes them and you yep. know that's why we're here and we we just want to grow the sport and we're happy to be able to do it you bet well josh let's wrap this one up i appreciate everybody that chimed in and and asked questions this month you're going to see the same photo i'm going to get the same question somebody asked me again i think cody lostro asked me you know how tough and I'm, I gonna, I'm gonna look. i'm gonna photo photoshop that i'm with stupid shirt <laughs> in that boat in that picture i'm with stupid yeah. yeah yeah i'm gonna put it on the dog and you to where you guys are both pointing at each other <laughs> oh man that'd be good i do i do love that dog that terrier is cool yogs are cool yep yeah he's a pain in the ass yeah they are they are is. a pain in the ass but they are cool Everybody asks me, like, why do you, why, you know, if he's such a pain, why do you do it? And it's like, because it's nonstop entertainment, man. I'm yeah. telling you, we were we were on the Freedom Hunters hunt the other night, and he was 560 yards away from me. It's like, what's yeah. he doing? It's like doing Hunting. terrier stuff. Yeah. He was doing terrier doing, stuff. I had to go over and fish shit. him out of a big <laughs> rock pile, grab him by the tail and jerk him out of there. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at this rock pile, and I was like, holy smoke, how would I, if, if I hadn't got here when I did, how would I ever get him out from underneath there? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, man. Yeah, he, he'll make you crazy. I, we, we treat on a big sycamore den right on the edge of the river. And my first thought, the hounds are there, and I'm looking around seeing where tough, when Tuff's going to get there so I can grab him and, yeah. and tie him before up. Before you get him in that hole. Before <laughs> yeah. he gets up inside a sycamore tree in a, you know, yeah. on a riverbank. Yeah. Uh, it's wild. It's wild. All it's right, amazing. Buddy. It's amazing what dogs are bred for and what they do, and that's that's the, the great fun of it. I'm the world's worst terrier terrier owner. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> I like taking pictures of him and laughing yeah. at him, but yeah. I don't want to freaking dig. Yep, I so, don't blame you. Yep. All right, Josh. Well, I'm gonna wrap it up. Until next time, buddy. You follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine. Thank you, Chris.